like Hollyoaks after hours. Do you remember Hollyoaks after hours? Yeah, of course no. I remember Hollyoaks. It's set, you know, this is the sort of life that Chinch leads, Hollyoaks, isn't it? You are a bit Hollyoaksy. You are quite Hollyoaksy. You're more Hollyoaksy than footballers' wives. What, is, what does that mean? Holly it Oaksy. means that Glamorous. I can imagine you, you frequent a nightclub that has many murders. <laughs> None of the, I don't go to nightclub. I actually said this in my Everton FC podcast. I wasn't a nightclubbing type of football. Were you not? No. My wife was. Didn't take me with her. The <laughs> what, did, what else did you talk about in your Everton FC podcast? Everything. Everything, everything and everything. Death. Not murder. Death. Death how, of how my mother. How long did it uh, last? How long were you talking for? An hour. Wow. You only was asked it, me two questions. Was it, <laughs> did it, feel, did you, was it cathartic? Did you feel kind of I did. I said afterwards? to him, this is like therapy. And he said, that'll be £408, please. <laughs> so you, you had to pay to be a guest yes. on the Everton podcast. I insisted on doing it. Was yes. it an official Everton FC podcast? Yes, it was done with the uh, Everton FC press, Jack Paul. So I presume, will he go on their website? I don't know. But it's that. It's a, it's a side of footballers you, you simply don't see. It's that good. Yeah, yeah, I see. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to get this from Dwight York. This kind of insight, harsh on Dwight York. Yeah, better suits though. Just Dwight. needs somebody to ask Dwight York the right questions. I, I bet Dwight and York softer stories would be quite good. Tell him what to say <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> we haven't seen a lot of Dwight York on the television recently. Have I we? see him at the gym. He lives in Dubai now. So you Hang go, on a minute. To the, you you go, go all the way to Dubai, Dubai to go to the gym. gym. No, commute. he came back for Christmas to, visit his, uh, to visit his friends. I see. And do his beef his guns at the gym. He's massive. He's a nice fellow, Dwight York. He's lovely. He smiles and blinds you. Yeah. He's a wonderful smile. Radiant he likes smile. up a whole gym. Like the Klopp 1000 watt smile. Yeah, but he does that on purpose, I think. Where Dwight's is just natural. Do you subscribe to the Jurgen Klopp has good bloke syndrome theory? Recently expressed on the Independent Football Podcast. Good bloke syndrome theory. What is that? Where Jurgen Klopp clearly thinks he's a good bloke. He would self-identify as a good bloke. Is he playing... Jurgen Klopp as a good bloke, or is he a good bloke? I think Jurgen Klopp is is, is a good bloke. Yes. I think he's a nice man. Yep. But the, the suggestion was, and it's not one I necessarily agree with, that Jurgen Klopp, like James Corden, is very much of the belief that he's a he's a good bloke. Mm. I would I would very much come down on one side of that particular duopoly, should I be forced to choose. Do you not like James Corden? I do not. If I'd they were chocolate, would they eat themselves? James Corden, yes. Jurgen Klopp. That would be a big piece of chocolate right there. Wouldn't I it? Well, less, less satisfying than previous iterations of let's, James Corden. Also, so let's not body shame. That. Uh, not body shame, no. just it's true. He's a, yeah, he's a, he's he would be a bigger he, piece of chocolate than, say, Steve. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Where does Pards fit into the Pards is defi- thing? Pards definitely thinks he's a good bloke, yeah. Anybody who has the moniker professionally prior to their name, like professionally Thierry Henry, professionally Pards, professionally Klopp, professionally Corden, I think it works in each and uh, every case. That they, the pr- oh. they would lather themselves up with butter and lick it off. The only problem with it... <laughs> <laughs> There are nicer ways of. <laughs> Can you lather butter? Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think I prefer, you know, if, if, if they were chocolate, butter. they would eat themselves. Seems a little bit more of an acceptable way to I go about that description. What, what do you do in the second instance of that? <laughs> the only problem with this is it's risky. You kind of veer into sort of permanent cynicism, where, where if there's anybody who's got a bit of charisma or laughs or makes jokes, then you assume that they are kind of a bit. You know, smoked and, and having themselves Annoying. a little bit, and that's slightly unfair because that they'd roll around in candy floss and put it this way, I would say each that other's faces. Pards and Klopp are very different beasts. Well, I would say that Klopp and Corden are very different beasts. As so well. Plop, yes, Pards and Klopp, Plop, yes, are good, good people. <laughs> no, good people. No, 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 they're good no, people. No, I think there's, mm. there's there's different ways of being a in, in capital letters good bloke. 
That's what I would say. But anybody, you're right, who self-identifies as a good bloke might not mm, be a good tends bloke. not to be, yeah. yeah. He, Klopp clearly thinks he's quite funny. Uh, I think often he is quite funny, but I wouldn't say that's necessarily a, a massive personality. He does role. come from a long line of German comedians, though, doesn't clearly, he? Clearly, so, yes. Yeah, it's a natural state of being. I'm glad we got to the casual racism eventually. Yeah, there you I've go. been waiting, yeah. and there it is. There this it is. is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food has been provided not by Andy, <laughs> not by Andy's wife, but by Andy's stepdaughter. And Marks and Spencer. Can, can we say that? Is it Marks and Spencer? There's no S on the end, is there? Marks and Spencer. Yep. Yeah. But, but it belongs to them, so apostrophe S. Yeah. Well, it did belong to them. <laughs> and now it belongs to you. It's now in my tummy. Um, so would you like to explain what you asked Carly to get for you? Um, well, we started because you were late because, stupidly, you forgot all the kit, so we couldn't actually start doing the podcast, <laughs> which is true. the only reason you're involved, <laughs> yeah. is to bring the kit along. It's still true. We've had some Danish pastries. We've mm. had some pan up, some pano raisin. Is that how we would say yep. it? Yep. Pano chocolat. Also Are we allowed excellent. to say that? So they're excellent. Are we allowed to say that? Are we allowed to? trade name. Does it not sound a bit... I'm from Manchester. That's like what you can't say feta unless it's actually from. I'd just feta say pano raisin, wouldn't I? I'd just say pano raisin or pano chocolate. I wouldn't say pano chocolate. Would you? Pano would, raisin. You would say pano chocolate rather than chocolate bread. I would never say chocolate bread because it isn't chocolate bread. Okay. Okay. So we've had Danish pastries, pastries, and then we've had some fresh fruit, freshly made by myself and not Marks and Spencer. Now two pots uh, of Marks and Spencer's fresh fruit put into a bowl to make it look like it's fresh fruit. Yeah. Some people might say that. Nobody cuts their apples like that. Jim. There's also some True. four pots of kind of different kind of compots and birches and kind of yogurty stuff to go on the fruit. We've had macaroon coffee, which Rory loves. Mm. And Until he found out tea, it was macaroon coffee. Fresh orange. We've basically had the full brunch experience. Thank you very much indeed, Andrew Hinchcliffe. Your uh, contributions um, will not be ignored, mm-hmm. although they were incredibly trivial. Joining me, Hugh Ferris. Ah, Stephen Wyeth, as British as a builder's brew. Rory Smith, as hipster as a hibiscus fizz mocktail. What? And what? Andy Hinchcliffe, as broken as a crushed can of iron brew. You can get in touch with the programme via <laughs> at Menu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also continue the Facebook uh, conversation. Just search for us, Set Piece Menu. Now, uh, we read out a very gratefully received email about our pod on retirement last week. So here is another. It's time to put down the bircher. Put down the bircher. There we go. Lick your lips and... Prepare to respond to this. It comes from another regular correspondent, John Yearle. Uh, we have a lot of fine folks on the cusp of Buffalo status. John is one of them. So close. So close. Don't influence me. Well, John says this. To whichever unfortunate soul has to read this inbox, i.e. not Chinch. I thought I'd send an email to thank you all, and of course, mostly Chinch, for the pod about retirement. Not only did it bring some perspective to an era of professional football in which I previously had very little, but it also touched heavily on mental health and how it affects everyone and anyone. It seems that, and I am aware I'm heavily grouping here, the general media and the general public view those that earn, have, are worth more than them as not only immune to certain issues of life, but also that the more that the person earns, has, is worth, the less human that they are and the more acceptable it is to dehumanise them. It is understandable as most normal people's issues seem to be in some way related to money, so naturally the view is having more money will make you happier. Furthermore, it is us as football fans that are partly to blame. Our money floods into the game and pays the high wages we all complain about. Our discussion of the game increases the focus and pressure on each of their actions. Thus, as part creators of the problem, we should be part of the creators of the solution. And thank you, he says to us, for being part of that solution. That's from John. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, players, they they can't apologise for the abilities that they have. They're playing the game in an era where they are fabulously well paid. But as John says, they're not immune to the problems that, that everybody has. So... 
yeah, maybe we should appreciate that a little bit more. It's um, he, he's right though. That part of the reason I think that that, that conversation happens is because for most people, the, the most pressing issues you have are money related, and I th- I think it's that is, I don't think that's a. a a line of thinking that people should be criticised for? Does it su- it's such an understandable thing to, to be tempted to think? How can you be upset when you've got this great life? We, we do know, I think, deep down that mental health issues are unrelated to the contents of your wallet. But at the same time, it's, it, I, I, don't, I kind of dislike it when I see people being scorned for thinking like that. I think it's, it's not the right way to think, but I, I do think it's understandable to think like that. The bigger issue with football, or not the bigger issue, the problem particularly with football is that that we seem to think they that players don't have a right to be affected by things that we talk about them and not not just players managers and referees as well that's not, that that's really important they are not paid as much as the players and they are not they do not have the same support networks in place as the players um we seem to think that they all they're all fair game and i don't really understand how we got to that point where where it was kind of well it's it's fine to say that to a player because they're a player so why wouldn't you the, the thing about that entitlement to scream and shout abuse, which some people still believe comes with the price of their ticket to a match, is just astonishing. And it's something that, as a society, we need to move on from. Mm. By all means, be infuriated by things at a football match. And that sort of tribalism, that passion, is all part of being a fan. But it does not entitle you to give anyone, a referee or a player, a hard time on the basis of, of your own discriminations. At the risk of really annoying Hugh by going wildly off topic, I think I think tribalism now has become it's used to excuse too much. Yeah. The idea that f- oh, football's tribalistic that's its glory. Matthew Syed writes yeah. that quite a lot. Oh, it's it's glory is its tribalism. No, it's not. It, football's glory is not its tribalism. If you think it is, then you're doing it wrong. It's lovely supporting a team and it's lovely to 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 feel part of a without sounding really cheesy like a family and to have that 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 pastime to occupy your brain. But the way that that tribalism is invoked to excuse literally any form of behaviour is insane. And to be honest, all f- as fans, I think we should probably, we need to recognise that and maybe start to dial it down a little bit. Um, so that uh, all happened after an email from John. Uh, this is from Rand St. John from Barbados. Uh, Dear Set Piece Men, you started listening to your amazing work after the World Cup while doing some gardening. Just leave it there. I felt like... <laughs> Wait a minute. He's in Barbados. Yeah. I like gardening. So therefore... Does he have a back room? Would you like to go to Barbados oh, and garden? Oh, well, you put two and two together and they're May 5. That's not where I was going. Shouldn't just going to live in the pool house. <laughs> I don't care where. I'm in Barbados. I felt like emailing him, but after episode 111, I needed to, says Rand. Um, great insight as to what it's like to make the transition from player to layman and his inspiration for anyone. Layman? Chidge does not layman. like layman. I'm not a layman. <laughs> you are a layman, especially if you're going to live in the pool house with Ransom John and just do some gardening for him. And it's inspirational for anyone switching jobs or going into retirement. Totally enjoy every episode. Keep up the excellent work. Kind regards from Barbados. Inspirational. Was I described as... Did he mean me or the pod? I think... I think Let's the, just say he meant me. The subject I've matter. never been inspirational, have I? Uh, no. Never. Joe never. Highland writes uh, after last week's episode about where the line is. Dear Steve... Really interesting debate about where the line is between marginal gains and cheating and or tactical S-baggery, because I've done a lot of editing out of that word, so I'm just going to say S for now. I completely agree that sending someone to peek over the fence, growing the grass, painting the changing room pink and turning the hot water off are all perfectly legitimate means for clubs to try and achieve a slight advantage, if any. However, I'd be interested to hear the pod's view on a couple of other examples. Number one, 
Swansea against Southampton Hotel Gate last season. In the run-up to a relegation six-pointer, Marriott Swansea cancelled Southampton's reservation due to an apparent virus outbreak, meaning Southampton had to change hotels. While Swansea claimed they had nothing to do with it, other guests' reservations were not affected, and in any event, Southampton won the game. The Marriott also suffered a negative TripAdvisor review from the Saints, which was quite amusing if you saw it on social media. But that's not the club itself. That's, think, that's a hotel. The allegation was that the club was involved. Now, the club strenuously deny any involvement, so we have to take them at their word. So, mm. we assume. So yeah, that's difficult. If the, if the Swansea Marriott decided to cancel Southampton's reservation... It's a little bit preoccupial, that, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that yeah. You're, uh, and, and they were still taking bookings as right. well. So, the rooms that Southampton had cancelled, I believe, were then subsequently filled by other guests. So, they, they obviously were guests. very, very concerned about how the virus might affect elite-level athletes and by comparison. Well, all right. Not elite level, but no. you know, people who do a bit of training. For so, did these Southampton <laughs> players have to sleep in their Vauxhall Vectras overnight, or how did it all? How did, what happened? Where, where did they stay? No, Fiat Tipos. No, oh, they, did they? Yeah. Did they all, did they they all, all go on deal with Fiat? Probably, oh, okay. probably Mark Hughes' finest moment of as Southampton manager was dealing with that because he ended up staying at the Vale of Glamorgan, which is where the Wales national team stay ahead of. Uh, that was his finest moment. No, his oh, response. Further away. His, his <laughs> response was something along the lines of. The Marriott did us a bit of a favour, actually, because it's, it's the worst hotel we stay in Ooh. on the Premier League circuit. Ooh. We'll be staying at the Vale of Glamorgan a little bit more often. He threw he some shade, be. won three points and then left. Uh, the number two example that um, Joe suggested is Brighton against Crystal Palace playoff semi-final. Similar to Ooh. turning off the heating or trying to lower testosterone levels through colour scheme choices, Brighton thought the best way to make a hostile environment for Palace was to use excrement oh, yes. as oh, part God, of the decor. Yeah. Uh, while ma- many Palace fans would argue that faecal matter is a more preferential interior design choice than Brighton colours, the move backfired and Palace won the game and ended up getting promoted. While it may not be illegal, it does put the S in S baggery. Was that before the game or was after? I think it was after. No, it was before the game. There was <coughs> something left <laughs> for the for the players to discover, wasn't there? It was before the game. Why, why, after the game I, wouldn't make any sense, I would, would it? No, it wouldn't. There's, I would there's say your doggy bag, there's that was <laughs> before the game. I would say that is, is too much. I think you're taking that too far. I think painting the dressing room. But how, why would you? But why would you be affected? Is one thing. Why would you? If you had arrived Does at my house grim? to do a podcast, and I'd left <laughs> a Viking helmet, <laughs> like Neville Southall did. Have I done that story? Yeah, no, let's yet, not do that story. Um, in the middle of the table, would it affect your podcasting? Yes. Yes, a lot. It really? Well, yeah. it would affect the podcasting that we wouldn't do it because yes, the rest of us would immediately. leave immediately. Yeah. You'd leave immediately. You'd, you'd, be also, that, you'd be that. We wouldn't have an advance party of like thirty hangers-on who could come and clear it up before we, the players, obviously. I'm sure. Oh, okay. Least, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think that's not really. Bad, Very quickly it? from Joe, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that and maybe of the uh, any of the worst dressing rooms that Chinch has ever visited. Plough Lane, but was that because it was a terrible ground or they made the away dressing room? T- I'm not sure what the home dressing room was like. I'd like to have seen the home dressing room. The one at the away, you couldn't fit 16 people in it. You know, with all the, mm. the skips with the kit net. You couldn't physically all be in that one. You had to do it in shifts. But again, was that part of the plan? And did they have a plush? Ho- probably not a Plough Lane. No, probably no. not. <laughs> How did yeah. you decide the order in terms of shifts? Did uh, you, if you were senior player, did you get to wait until the end, or did you have well to get your kit on was, early? The trouble was because of the problems with kit. We didn't have the proliferation of kit, so there was only a certain number of large shorts, which clearly I needed. <laughs> so we, I had to get in early to make sure myself, Steve Redmond, were larger bottomed. So we needed. There's no way I'm going to play against Wimbledon in a pair of medium shorts. <laughs> Ludicrous. Actually, so I had to go in early. So I was one of the uh, less access for Vinnie Jones to do his yeah, his you'd Gaza. Have, you'd have access. been a target, wouldn't you? I would suggest that that. That when you come to write your autobiography, Chinch, yes, which I'm well, when you come to, to write his autobiography, yes, excellent. Uh, I I would hope that 
one of the working titles could be. There's no way I'm playing Wimbledon in medium shorts. <laughs> it's not the fact you're playing against Wimbledon who are going to elbow in, your, in the face regularly. It's the fact that... The hurtful words about your thighs. I did have to play what I'm sure I had to play once in medium shorts and it did affect my running style. I couldn't, I couldn't, you couldn't run because the shorts would not let you... Your gazelle-like gazelle, stride Exactly. My, be, my, right. my running, my gait changed. I was like, oh, look, shuffling. There goes Andy Hinchcliffe on the scouting report. It said Impala. But no. It's like he needs the lavatory. What's he doing? Um, uh, finally, Paul Repper says this. Dear Terry Hardcastle and friends, l- long-time listener since pod number four. Um, what have the first three done to a fan? I don't know. First-time caller, says Paul. Uh, so, what way to get featured, he asks. It seems like calling on long-established tropes might work, so let's try that. A while ago, you were talking about the underdog and the overdog. Can you remember that, Rory? Mm. You were talking about the underdog and the overdog. Yes. It reminded me of my time, fresh-faced out of uni and teaching English in Japan. Completely out of my depth and not really having a bloody clue what I was doing, I found myself teaching a pretty advanced group of learners who asked me to explain the origins of the word underdog. Kind of assuming it would have a bit more to it than just a dog-fighting origin, I found a site that suggested it came from shipbuilding, where workers would saw logs over a saw pit. Uh, the more senior worker would stand on top of the saw pit, while the junior worker would be in the pit with all the sawdust falling mm. on them. What with sailors being salty dogs, the terms top dog and underdog came about. Pretty compelling, no? Also, as I discovered years later, absolute bobbins. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So, 15 years on, and in a highly ill-suited forum, apologies to those eager young English lang- language learners in Japan. He signs off. Much love, Doug Rugby. Doug Rugby. He was terrible. <laughs> P.S. Paul slash Doug says, We kind of lost impetus on the Andy football chance. May I humbly suggest Wuthering Heights with these words? Um, what? I'm not. Wuthering Heights. Kate You've Bush, got a beautiful singing voice. Come on. I've got a beautiful singing voice, but it's more kind of tenor baritone, not Kate Bush soprano. What's it to do with, though? Um, Are you going to sing it? I'm not going to sing it. but oh, people, come on. No. It's not going to work, but I tried it. I have actually rehearsed, and it was awful. What is it? But if you all know the bit just leading up to the chorus of uh, Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights, you'll know that there are several words that are copied here. So, (laughs) injuries in sight. They told me my joints would lose the fight. Left behind, withering, withering, withering under floodlights. Hinchcliffe, it's me. I'm Andy. I've come on. I'm so old. Let me order some. Kang Pao. Really good, isn't it? That's really good. If just, just, try, just try singing it once. We can always do it. Can't we pay someone to sing this? Seppiesmenu uh, yeah, yeah. at gmail.com for all things attachments welcome. Uh, this week's subject came about thanks to a classic SPM combo. Something happened, someone emailed, and we use both to fill the vacuum of ideas that ironically sits rather heavily upon us each week. Uh, we'll come to the latter, the someone emailed, in a moment. But the former prompts this question. Are certain players treated differently to others. Whether it's because of position, club, nationality, or even race, do some players get treated differently? And if it's none of those things, why do they? Rory would like to offer up the something that happened, and it relates to Mo Salah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, there's been, it, it's, it's just this weekend, really, that it was Salah. It could be any weekend. There is a perception that some players dive and are criticised for diving, and everyone gets very cross, and that some players dive and everyone says, oh, well, you see, there actually was contact initially, and you know, maybe he's been fouled a lot, so, so maybe it's okay for him to go over. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't go down, he, he doesn't get the penalty, the penalty, then he'd have to answer to his manager at half-time. Exactly. It's just professional. It's just yeah. professional, Steve. Now, I think we all know that I don't have a problem with diving un- unless it's done badly. If you dive well, I'm happy for you. I don't think it's cheating. I'm not, you if know... If you dive well, it's acceptable. Yeah. 
We've done this before, Chinch. We've done Chinch, it a million times. He spent way too much time yeah. in South America for us to convince him of anything other than his current position. I liked all... F- I tell you what... So if you throw yourself to the ground without being fouled, that's a perfectly acceptable part of the game. If you do it convincingly. If what, What's that going to do with it's it? It's like a criminal. Be a criminal, just don't get caught. Yeah, exactly. No, but that doesn't make it right, does it? doesn't make it so right. All, no. those, all yeah. those monies that I've been embezzling from you over the yes. 15 years that I've known you that you've not found out about, I yeah. have been successful. Therefore, Rory is encouraging me to do yes. that. Now that I've told you, I have been caught and I'll have to stop. be demanding that he keep doing it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But at no point did you think this is wrong in the first place. I shouldn't be embezzling. No, Rory, Rory was Chich, Chich, been sleeping in your ha- He's been sleeping in your house twice a week for the last six months. That's, and you've that's not noticed, what the smell was. I thought it was a dead rat. Anyway, right. that's what you say. So diving is good. I don't think it's good. Good. I don't think it's good. I just don't particularly have a problem with it. In any way... Hang on. It's acceptable. Let me ask you a question. No, no, don't ask me a question. Let me ask you a question. This is a tangent. Diving is acceptable. (laughs) Yes, basically. I don't have a problem with it. Okay, carry on. Did you ever... You know when you were tussling... Don't bring me into it. (laughs) When you were tussling for the ball by the goal line. Oh, yeah. Did that a lot. And it ricocheted off you and went out for a corner. Yeah. Did you ever tell the referee it was... No, I said that's the opposition's throwing referee. (laughs) (laughs) Because I knew... It, to do the right thing is very important to yeah, me. Anyway, I'm, I'm those a, good deeds would come back to, to reward no, you. Of course I did. Time. Yes. So you've you've caught me out there. To me, you've well, caught no, me not, out there. Not trying to catch you out, Chinch. I'm just saying that to but me, you did. They're not vastly different. Anyway, what appealing for a throw in and diving for a penalty? Is Ron, this, knowingly, wrongly appealing, appealing for a corner, corner, and diving for a penalty are on the same moral fault line. But hang on a second, you, Rory. You've previously pointed out quite correctly that, like, from corners, put you know. A, out of every 50 corners, you might That's score true, once. Yeah, 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 Out of every 50 penalties, you're going to score, what, 47, 48? Yeah. So Unless you shake really, <laughs> really, Yeah. So did Salah die for, dive for a penalty against Crystal Palace? And he um, did, did he? Yeah, it, I've it, not seen it, so did he it, dive? It, yeah, I think it was. Do you know what? It wasn't even a dive. He just sort of fell he over. He just fell over backwards, yeah. unchallenged. Yeah. So there was no contact on him. No, there was a, there a was dive kind of would a, suggest some kind of forward yes, momentum. Yes, 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 there was yes. kind of a tussle. And at some point, Salah thought, right, that's, that's, enough, that's enough of that tussling. I'm going I'm, I'm to throw myself I'm down and see down. what happens. And it's, it's a motion he actually does quite a lot, Salah. And sometimes he gets a penalty and sometimes he doesn't get a penalty. But anyway, there was a big reaction to, I think he was criticised on Match of the Day. And then I saw lots of people saying, oh, Salah's not being criticised in the same way as. And the example that was given was Raheem Sterling mm-hmm. after the, the ridiculous, not actually a dive penalty against Shakhtar in the Champions League. Yeah. Where, where Sterling stubbed his, stubbed yeah, his yeah, yeah, toe yeah. and went over, and the referee gave a penalty, which we should all say immediately. That's not Raheem Sterling's fault. No, it was a refereeing not. Mistake. Um, but what you, could City have done? Well, Sterling could have said, could have done a Robbie Fowler, but yes. the thing that I would say in Sterling's defence there, and this isn't necessarily what, what we're talking about. Doing a Robbie about. Fowler, was given a penalty against Arsenal, and he went to the referee to say it shouldn't have been a penalty. Um, uh, Liverpool score, but from a rebound. Uh, one of those examples yeah. of fair play uh, that is often recalled. If he so really wanted it to have been fair play, he could have blazed it. Yeah, that's what he, should, yeah. He, shouldn't, he shouldn't have tried to score, if, he, if that's but what the, he did. He but that's, just but that's also, where, where, th- does that matter as much as scoring a goal for your team, which is what Raheem yeah. Sterling must have gone through? Well, no, the, the, the other thing with Sterling is that I think at the speed he was moving, there is no way he would have known for sure that he wasn't kicked. And I think that's something that we, we overlooked massively. There's two things that get hugely overlooked on, in, in, in the, d- the diving debate. One is the speed at which everything's happening on a football pitch. You t- it's really hard to know exactly what's happening, even if you're a player. And the other is that sometimes people fall over. And I'm not saying Salah fell over. I think Salah was looking for a penalty. But sometimes you'll, you'll be at a game and someone will very obviously like fall over because they've been shoulder barged out of the way or whatever, and it's all perfectly legal. They don't claim for it, but the fans will go, boo, you're terrible. So that's, that's an example of how yeah. penalties are given. What, what, how was Salah and Sterling treated differently? Well, the perception was way? that Sterling was round, or City were roundly condemned for getting a penalty they shouldn't, that shouldn't have been a penalty, whereas 
Salah was excused his petadillo because they did the reasons because which they didn't get a penalty, but also because uh, he gets fouled a lot and maybe there was a bit of contact and blah blah blah, blah, blah. and it it gave rise to this 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 distrust this broader distrust about why certain players are treated in certain ways and others in others. The other framing of it that you quite get quite often is that no one criticises Harry Kane for diving because Harry Kane is white and England captain. And this brings us on to the second part uh, of the something happened and then someone emailed. Well, the email uh, comes from Mohammed El Salah, would you believe? That is his name. Do we think name. it's him? Uh, it might he's be. He's put L in there to try and disguise it. Yes, a doctor based in America. Um, Mohammed's point is about English players and how they're treated in the English media and whether it's something that's replicated elsewhere. So, greetings, gentlemen, and Rory. After watching the recent game between Spurs and Manchester United, says Mohamed, I have a few observations. The one I want to speak about, though, is that I have come to the conclusion that Harry Kane must be the most overrated player in the EPL. The commentators were tripping over themselves trying to justify his every bad touch and blaming his teammates every time that he didn't score himself. I'm not sure how the media are in Italy and Spain, for example, but I'm fairly certain they don't hype up players as much as the English press does. Uh, Look at players like Wilshire or Walcott or Trippier. They are, at best, average to good players. But if you were to believe the hype from the media, you would have thought that they were going to be the winners of seven Ballon d'Ors between them. So some players are treated differently. Well, it's to do with reputation, isn't it, basically? So someone like Wilshire burst onto the, scene, onto the scene at 17, is seen as this really talented kid, has a few kind of standout games. Uh, Pep Guardiola brilliantly says, I've got, got eight of those in my B team at one point, which is hilarious. Uh, and, and probably true. And probably true. And then set, that then sets the the tone, basically, for his entire career, for well, maybe not for his entire career, but for the next four, five, six years, that he is seen through the frame of this kid is inordinately talented, thus everything he does must be a sign of, must kind of reflect in some way that talent. So if he plays well, it's he's really talented. If he plays badly, it's, mm, are Arsenal getting the best out of him? That's how the, distru- yeah. dis- it's the framing of the discussion. I think in terms of diving, it applies as well, that if you get a player who, gets a reputation for diving, then every kind of contestable challenge or contestable decision or slightly soft tackle, it's is he looking for the contact, is he doing this, that and the other. And I think that that Salah, for example, doesn't have that reputation in a way that I don't necessarily think Sterling does, to be honest, but Jamie Vardy say, Jamie Vardy definitely has a reputation as a diver. Um, now, the question is whether that is because of sort of pure footballing factors where, so Salah maybe for the first, I don't know, year, it wasn't a noteworthy part of his game that he was looking for penalties, so people didn't really pick up on it. Or is it to do with other slightly more nefarious factors? So is it because are foreign players treated more harshly than others? Are white players treated more easily than black players or non-white players? And I I don't know if there's a broader pattern to that. I don't, I don't know if you did a, a, you'd have to do a full-on study but I don't necessarily think that's true. I don't think it's the case that black players are treated more harshly in terms of things like diving than white. There's definitely a difference in the way we talk about black players and white players. We've talked about that before, and you'll always get black players described as monsters, and their their physicality we'll, is emphasised. And we'll come back to that yeah. just uh, a little bit later on in the conversation. I don't know whether in terms of diving or the, the darker arts of football, whether black players um, or non-white players, transgressing is highlighted more than white players. You'd, I, I think you'd want to do a big study on that. But I definitely think that players get reputations for certain actions or certain tendencies. And once those reputations are set, it's very hard for the media in general. And I would say fans as well to to kind of escape them. Yeah, so to shake them off. Yeah. yeah, because so much of this stuff, so much, so much of this stuff is Steve's going to talk now because he's been trying to talk for ages. 
but I can eat um, if that helps. But so much of this stuff, are f are these things are, are so are so fine that the difference between a dive, you don't get many really blatant dives. You don't get you, there's always a few every season, and we tend to remember them much more um, much more clearly than the than, than all of the others. But most of them are a bit like the Salah one, where you sort of think, well, there's kind of there's kind of a kick. It doesn't look. There are like different types of. Dive. It's probably it's probably not types. enough. There's but that, there's leaving the lead in. There's exaggerating contact. There's seeking contact. Yes, exactly. these are all types of kind of simulation. Those beautiful swallow the Andy Johnson swallow dive where there's no one near you. They're very few and far between. Yeah, and I think the problem is that because that these are relatively fine decisions, the players with certain reputations, if you if you have a player who has a reputation for it, they will get. That their them performing that action will get highlighted. If you have a player who doesn't have a reputation for it, then performing that action Com won't get highlighted. Com confirmation bias or yes. reputation yeah. leading into games. Well, that's what I did want to come to the confirmation bias thing because just to, to sort of bring it full circle to to where Rory started the diving thing about how Mo Salah, the Mo Salah incident was viewed as well. He wasn't criticised as much as Raheem Sterling was. There was also the alternative view. And Alan Shearer was taken to task on Twitter about this because he was highly critical of Mo Salah on Match of the Day for that incident against Crystal Palace. And lots of people were suggesting that he wasn't as tough on the likes of Jamie Vardy or Harry Kane or Raheem Sterling in, under similar circumstances. Well, Shearer responded by pointing out that he had been critical this season of Harry Kane for going down too easily. And he had mentioned just the week before about the Vardy dive against Southampton in the Premier League, which was a clear dive, and he was rightly criticised by Shearer on match of the day for that. So it is, it, it's that echo chamber in which you live that Liverpool fans are saying, why are they coming down so hard on Mo Salah this week because of that dive when they didn't focus on what Jamie Vardy did last week or Harry Kane did last month? Well, you just weren't paying attention yeah, to that yeah, conversation yeah. because you're so Did, focused yes, on Liverpool team, and what yeah. Liverpool plays. And that's fine. That's being a fan. Mm. You have a much more in-depth knowledge of discussions around your team than you would do any other. It would be almost impossible as an average fan to stay across every single talking mm. point involving every 20 teams in the Premier League. So you are going to be more aware of the criticism Mo Salah is getting if you're a Liverpool fan compared to what Jamie Vardy was getting. But if you're a Leicester fan, it is the other way around. Yeah. So I think... Yeah, you can talk about whether certain players have it highlighted more often or not because of you know race, nationality, or whether or not they're they're English, British. You want to protect them from too much criticism, but the fact is, it ultimately comes down to which team do you support as clouding your your view and your judgment. There was definitely a stage, I think, when when foreign players diving was highlighted more than British players, and there was a, yeah, there was a time when we we. The conversation around diving was always this is something foreigners do, and they brought into our and game. they brought into our game. And in those instances where it was really obvious that an English player had dived, it was assumed he had learnt it from a Frenchman. Well, the, the first the first foreigner famously to sort of bring diving into English football was the Manchester City player Lee Francis. Francis Lee, <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of those famously foreign types. The, um, yeah, I thought that diving started with Jurgen Klinsmann, didn't it? <laughs> well, Which, of course, was an import into the Premier League, and then it started in the Premier League. I mean, I'm no detective, but, that's, but those, those clues are lining up pretty yeah, clearly. Are, that's a really interesting example, though, because I remember the Klinsmann, and anyone of, of our generation will, which is the generation just, just after Chinch. Yes. The, um, Chinch was playing against Klinsmann. We were watching Yeah, you must have children. played Klinsmann. 
played against Lindsay. Yes, yeah. played against him many but, times. Well, in the uh, uh, semi-final, the famous FA Cup semi-final. Yes, in that FA Cup run when we... Have I told you about winning the FA Cup? In, no, you haven't. I won it and Although by default Everton won we're it. We're running long, so um, if you could... Uh, he clean. scored the only goal against us in our FA Cup run and it was a penalty in the semi-final. Did he dive? Um... <laughs> He was, I think he was fouled for the penalty and I think Dave Watson hacked him to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think there's any dispute. Yeah, he, he was fouled. But it was, it was really interesting. <laughs> that, that, that was like a proper conversation at the time was Jürgen Klinsmann is a diver. He has taught, he has introduced yeah. diving into England that looked at this scourge. But everybody having that conversation, all the pundits and the journalists, must have remembered Francis Lee because they weren't like 15 years old and Franny Lee was playing yeah. until late, the late 70s and he was a famous diver. So th- how on earth that conversation was allowed to happen, I have no idea. But then Klinsman glorified the diving by when he scored. Yeah, yeah. He dives, so the yes, Tottenham fans it. probably he, thought, this is great, it doesn't matter what he's done. Clever. He's got a penalty yeah. and he scored. So Won the PR war. Yes, exactly, he yeah. reclaimed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, for, any, for anybody who doesn't know about Francis Lee, he became known as Lee One Pen. Because in the newspaper, when you read the results so often, Manchester, City, Manchester City's goal scorer, yeah. their only goal of the game was Francis Lee, 1P next to it. Because, yeah. What's your beef with Franny Lee, Steve? I've not got beef with Franny Lee at all. I'm just we saying point that out it was that a dodgy batch of toilet paper. No, no. <laughs> What's the story? The, the story? nickname <laughs> Lee 1 Pen, with it being 2019, that was racist. Right. Well, Steve did want to bring it around full circle, so casual racism is probably. So maybe, where yeah, maybe it that's it. Maybe they, maybe they, yeah, maybe maybe they, they foreignized yeah. him. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way, yeah. But the, 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 the conversation that we're having today is about how, how players are treated differently. So, aside from the penalty issue and the diving issue, which is clearly a, a touchstone, if you like, yeah. or a, a way that it, it, it kind of gets into the general parlance, or more, most regularly does. What, what other ways are players treated differently and for what reason? We are guilty of overhyping young English players. Of course we are. There's probably reasons for that, partly because of the lack of success that the national team has had. So every bright young English player that emerges in the Premier League is, is the hope on which a nation puts responsibility for bringing success to, to English football, not necessarily so their Phil, club. Phil Foden's falling into that category yeah, yeah. now. Absolutely, yeah. It's hope that old, you know, yeah. Phil Foden will, be, will finally be the Englishman to lift the World Cup. And then you've also got that thing that there's so many foreigners playing in the Premier League that when a young English player emerges, it's, I suppose, a bit of a novelty. It's noteworthy, it? that, yeah. That, yeah. That a player is being brought through and suddenly they are going to get an awful lot of interest because by comparison to to Spain, Italy, France, Germany, where locally based players are much more prevalent, I suppose mm. it isn't so much of a novelty, is it? So that's perhaps where the comparison is as to whether or not uh, the media in other countries overhypes these players. But then the thing to remember is that they get built up very quickly, but so too mm. do they get knocked down. And I wonder whether that happens you elsewhere. You talk about English players, but would you say it's been with Raheem Sterling recently and his what happened to him some of the coverage of, of his lifestyle is he as an English player treated differently to Phil Foden who's a young English player so can does then it's not about nationality is it about then colour and it becomes about well a black player spending his money splashing his money around Phil Foden does something while he's doing exactly the right well, thing that was but the that, point Raheem made wasn't it that was yeah. the point Raheem made so again it's, it's not about nationality because they're both English players but again colour comes into it then and they're saying well we're going to treat these people differently because of the colour of their skin and quite a lot of what, what uh, Raheem Sterling uh, said in his post um, which is a few weeks ago now m- most people will understand it, it came after um City played Chelsea, Chelsea, I think, before yeah. Christmas when he'd been subjected to alleged racist abuse uh, from some fans uh, at Stamford Bridge. The, the point that he was, he was making was a more general point and he was making it about how um, young English black players and young English white players are treated in terms of the, the media coverage of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what I would prefer to talk about on this podcast because I don't want to talk about something which is probably deserving of a whole podcast on its own is to say about on the field and their and their abilities yeah. or yeah. or whether they are perhaps considered to be whether they're mollycoddled for example if they're a young white English player or a young English player and whether they are subjected to different treatments because of those different elements of their footballing lives. yeah and that's right and I think there's three there's three areas that you, we, should, we probably have to focus on one is re- are they refereed differently one is are they are they treated differently by fans and the other is are they just treated differently by the media but on Raheem and what Sterling said about it wasn't about him and Phil Foden it was about Phil Foden and Tosin Adaraboyo that feeds into it because Raheem Sterling gets booed everywhere why it, I think he was booed against Huddersfield the other week, why but are Huddersfield fans booing well, Raheem he got, Sterling? He got fouled for a penalty, which was a because he's Raheem Sterling. We'll, we'll, why are you booing him? Yeah, they, they don't. I don't think fans, opposition fans, know why they're booing him. They just think that's what we do with Raheem Sterling because the the previous fans did. Yeah, yeah. So it becomes yeah. a thing where you boo, boo Raheem Sterling. I, I I would say that that is influenced by the way he is presented yeah. and projected in the media. With yeah. that sort of that, so it does that kind of off pitch stuff does affect the way that fans interact with a player on the pitch, and that's important. I think that is because. Fans feel he typifies or is an example of the things that they are disengaged with about the game. Mm. It's not that it's his fault particularly, but the the spite almost needs to be focused in one direction. It would be too difficult to spread yeah. it around. So the nature of the way that he was perceived to leave Liverpool for Manchester City, and then on top of that, the feeling, the general prevailing mood that he does not perform as well for England as he does for his club mean that there's almost double jeopardy as far as he's concerned in terms of becoming a focus for disgruntled supporters. It's, it's interesting that those, those, those players who, who get booed, kind of, for no, hey, well, the players who get booed for not playing well for England are always black. Yeah. Ashley Cole, Raheem Sterling, John, John Barnes. Barnes. They're always black. It's never white players. And that, that, is a, that is something we have to, as a country, at some point we're going to have to confront and think, right, actually, why are we doing this? Why is it always the black players? The I think you're right. I think that he, Sterling does has become a kind of a bellwether for this is the way the game's drawn and I don't, I don't like it. But I think that's that, not to say it's right. It's no, no, just no. explaining why it happened. But it's yeah. interesting, and that, that that I suspect is the if you asked each of those people in the crowd why are you booing Raheem Sterling in particular, and they were capable of the sort of self-reflection that you'd need. I think that might be the answer. What I would say is that that I think he's he now occupies that position because he is presented in a certain way, and I think he's presented in a certain way partly because he's not white. I think that those yeah. those things are related. In terms of how players are refed, I think you, which is, uh, that's probably worth, the whole Sterling thing is probably worth a yeah. series of yeah. podcasts and, and race, and there's no point doing it sort of in two minutes. Just yes, to we do don't it. want to seem like it's yeah. an if, it's, issue that we, we are d- being trifling with. Or that we, t- or that we can yeah. solve, do you know what well, I mean? Yeah, or, or, or that four middle-class white guys yes, exactly. that are yeah, we speak a, from a, a particular can, amount of experience. With, yeah. So, but in terms of how players are refed, I think that reputation is important and I think players are refereed differently according to what the referees are expecting, without a shadow of a doubt. And you'll see with Salah now that he has, there has been a high-profile penalty incident that he's not got. Mohamed Salah will now have to work harder to get penalties. So let's talk about the reputation issue. I was just I was going to say with so Steve, in preparing for a game, would you, do you take a player's reputation into consideration? If you're going to be commentating on Leicester, do you think about Jamie Vardy and when he's in possession in the opposition? Do you start to think about his reputation as maybe a player who does kind of generate fouls and dives or do you have to just say no I've just got to judge it I've got to work really hard to judge it on what I see yeah I think we when we talked about it a little bit during the commentary podcast where the sort of a referee and a commentator there's quite a few parallels in, in the two jobs you have to call things 
as you see them. The one advantage you subsequently have as a commentator is that access to almost immediate replays to confirm or cloud the situation depending on how you initially saw it. But and sometimes you have a middle ranking former in the, in the international sitting next to you to tell you what to think. No, to shrug his shoulders and yeah, not help. help. <laughs> I'm going to leave this one with you. <laughs> I, did com- I have commentated on Leicester this season. Jamie Vardy did win a penalty. It looked at full speed, at first glance, like clearly it was a foul and it was worthy of a penalty. The replays confirmed that as far as I was concerned. But the talking point from the club media, from the local media and from the press team of the opposition, it was Watford, were that that was never a penalty. Ben Foster, to, because for me, it was Jamie Vardy. For me, yeah. Ben Foster took him out and it was a clear penalty. But the viewpoint from the... That was from a neutral standpoint... Watford were adamant it was soft at best. But you might find opposition teams, I presume they do it, might, the captain might well speak to the referee before a game and saying, by the yeah. way, remember Jamie Vardy, remember, they will, they'll try and get into the referee. They're only human, aren't they? So they'll try their very best to see it as, as clean as they yeah. possibly can and not be influenced by reputation. But if players, I think we'd, I certainly wouldn't do it because I, I took the moral high ground. I, I mm. certainly wouldn't do that. But I, that, they'll try and generate in the referee's yeah. mind that doubt that... <laughs> You know, if it's Jamie Vardy, just just don't go don't go steaming in there. But this is he's done this before. Very essence of treating players differently. If you are, I'm trying to think of another example, but, but Jamie Vardy, but I can't. So we will just stick with Jamie Vardy. But if you are a referee and you are refereeing Leicester, surely there is an occasion where Jamie Vardy will go down in the penalty area, where the referee then has that initial reaction then applying the information that he already has because he watches football and he knows the game, applying some of the information he was given by an opposition captain who mm-hmm. might have spoken to, applying yeah. to a, a, an, uh, an issue previously in that match that you have already officiated. And you surely in that situation, there will be occasions, and it won't happen every time, but there will be occasions where the referee will think, that is Jamie Vardy. And also, it, it, it could be situation of a match when you're 1-0 down and it's late on and you're desperately trying to equalise. That is Jamie Vardy. He has gone down in the penalty area. Instead of just officiating that incident, I'm going to think to myself everything that I just mentioned. And also, but he will want me to think that, so maybe I'll do the opposite and you end up not giving a penalty to Jamie yeah. Vardy when it was a penalty because you are so clouded yeah. by all this information which is the very essence of treating a player but is that a, is that a checklist that you wouldn't apply to Harry Kane is that what we're saying that referees would then yes. just wouldn't do any of that yeah. for Harry Kane yeah, but I think so then you're judging players just some players and other players yeah, yeah. rather than saying yeah. Jamie Vardy or Harry not, Kane not saying referees do this but surely they're human beings but so they it, are it and I think they happens. do but what we have to, what's really important and what I, I think always gets lost in this debate is that does the the double the double thing that you're describing the does second that, guessing does that yeah. cancel it all out? So let's let's say you've got player A, a player who has no reputation for diving. Name Andy Hinchcliffe. You've got Andy Hinchcliffe. Yeah, in the opposition box. Waddling. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Not waddling no, anywhere. Has no reputation for making a gut busting <laughs> rippling late run. thighs. Swe- uh, oh sorry. A player away. without any reputation for anything at all. <laughs> like Andy, Hinchcliffe. Andy Hinchcliffe. Yes. Is yes, in yes. is in the penalty area. <laughs> lost. <laughs> Where am I? Nosebleed. <laughs> and he he falls over. Disorientated. Disorientated. <laughs> I'm a bad example, really. The other example of this that Chinch has brought up with us before is Paul Strolls. This is just to make this abundantly clear. Paul Strolls had a reputation for not being that type of player, despite being an abysmal and occasionally vindictive tackler. And that will have got him out of loads of yellow yeah. and red cards. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you do, Andy exactly. Hinchcliffe. Exactly, another great example yeah. of what we're talking about. Andy Hinchcliffe in the box. There are no pre preconceptions to what the referee's thinking at all because you don't have a reputation for diving or not diving. Mm -hmm. You go over. The referee's going to call that... It's probably, call, it's probably his knee. Go <laughs> <laughs> over injured. <laughs> have to, be, to leave the field Look, get to the point of your story. The referee's going to call that incident <laughs> as cleanly as possible. It, the referee will base it entirely on their on what they've yeah. seen. That's as it should be. Why now, is he wearing medium shorts? Anyway, go sorry. Anyway. That's why he's lost all the blood <laughs> to his head. That's why he's disorientated. <laughs> Circulation's a problem. You then have Jamie Vardy, a player with yeah. a reputation for diving. And also okay. wearing the correct size and shorts. wearing the correct size shorts. <laughs> the referee's going to look, look at it and think, oh, that looks like a foul because Jamie Vardy's good at diving. Mm. But he's also going to think, but then it's Jamie Vardy. So maybe I've got to think more carefully about whether it might have been a dive. I wonder whether the, the fact that there's that double process actually works against you. So players who do dive a lot are probably less mm. likely, or at, le at least no more likely to get penalties because the referees so are looking out for it. It works against the player. I think there comes a point with the reputation in terms of the referee where it works. It doesn't. Whether it works against the player, I'm not sure. It certainly doesn't work for the player anymore. That the, the player gets a, and Andy Johnston is the best example of this. Who won about four million penalties in that one season for Everton, and then the referees worked out what he was doing, which was leaving his trade and leg in. And I think he never won another another penalty again, and coincidentally stopped scoring goals. <laughs> and and that retired because, because they they had worked out what what the trick was that got him lots of penalties. And as I say, no judgment. I don't have a problem with it. But they worked out, right, this is what Andy Johnson's doing, so we're going to watch for it. So Andy Johnson keeps on running over in the box, and the referees are thinking, no, mate, you are leaving your leg in there, that's your fault. But even, even when he might well have been fouled. Even yes, when he exactly. might well have been fouled. There, there so must have been occasions so where he was So there fine. came a point where it was no longer advantageous to be Andy Johnson in the box, because you weren't getting penalties, and that's when his career ended. <laughs> boy, boy who cried wolf syndrome. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Sort of in Although the, the, in this case, the boy was kind of creating a papier mache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you throwing it at the villagers. <laughs> you, you mentioned when we were talking about Mosala earlier on that he is now going to have to work harder yeah. to win penalties. So, so this is the point you're making that it won't necessarily help him in the long run. Well, I, I know I have to bring this up about as often as Shane Long scores goals, but as the only qualified referee of the <laughs> quartet, really, you know, this is my sphere of uh, expertise. In terms of the making a split-second decision, I'm not sure the way that Hugh described it. I'm not sure referees have got the time to go through that second guessing process but no but it's so, a subconscious so yeah, yes, but yeah. yeah, yeah. so it, it may well be that ultimately it cancels itself out and a bit like I said about a commentator the referee has to make the decision as they saw it they can't wait so long as to work through but, all but, of those clauses right. as to what might have it's happened. It's subconscious, it's instinctive. But if, it, if, if Raheem Sterling, who is known to have dived on occasions, goes down in the box and it yeah. is a fair penalty, is Raheem Sterling going to get that given to him as many times as another player in that situation? What? Look at the game against Huddersfield when he was fouled yeah. for a penalty, didn't get it. Now, the referee might have said, well, I didn't think it was a foul. Or is his reputation coming into it and thinking, but well, remember that Shakhtar game? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going yeah. to on the side of caution and not give it because he, he, he has a reputation possibly is that, for is it. Is that a fair, Steve? Referees, is that a fair way of saying that that might happen sometimes? Referees must have the mindset that they don't want to be made fools of mm. by footballers with certain reputations. So I'm sure it's just human nature that that would be in your mind. But equal to this discussion in terms of players winning penalties when maybe they shouldn't or having their credibility judged when they go down in the penalty area how often 
do we see players penalised for diving when they've been taken out? And how often do we see what look like stone wall penalties, like the one you just described, it just happened to be involved Sterling, it could have involved, waved away. And you question the sanity of the official at that point in terms of what have they seen? What part of common sense Mm. leads you to believe that that isn't a foul, that isn't a penalty? That ultimately, officials make mistakes. They make misjudgments in a split second which then get poured over from every angle and for days afterwards, potentially even longer. So you can understand if they have some doubts about certain individual players who are, who are trying to fool them and that that might come back in, like you said with the Andy Johnson case, that might come back to, to work to the detriment of the player involved. I think there's a point as well that's to maybe make it a bit more about kind of the public coverage of them. And Kane's quite a good example of this. So I would say that Harry Kane is not averse to diving. He's not averse to exaggerating contacts. It's not a major part of his game in the same way that being offside was Pippo and Zaddy's whole shtick. <laughs> yeah. But Kane dives sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes there are legit- legit- legitimate penalties and sometimes there aren't. In that sense, he's a normal player. He's pretty representative of most players, I think. The reason that Kane, I think, doesn't have a reputation in the same way that Vardy does. Now, it's interesting, Vardy, I think we can agree, is has a reputation as a diver and is white. So I think that suggests that it's not completely a racial yeah. or nationality thing. It's not... I think we've gone beyond the foreigners dive thing. I think we all now accept that English people dive as well. Vardy's just had to work a little bit harder to get the yeah, reputation. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. But, but yeah. also, Vardy only got the idea to dive from meeting a foreigner w- at one point in his Jamie life. Vardy's interactions with foreigners tend not to go very well. <laughs> the, um, the well, <laughs> well, well, funnily enough, the, the, what, what's bubbling below that surface is the fact that it might be a class thing. Yeah, it could be. With Jamie Vardy. Or it could be a kind of north-south thing or almost a, um, a kind of academy, Premier League, lower league thing that... that the Vardy this is a hell of a Venn diagram yeah. we've got going on here, isn't the it? The Vardy narrative... It's Jamie Vardy right in the eye right of the storm. Everything. everything. But the interesting thing with Vardy is that Vardy... <laughs> the whole Vardy narrative is that Vardy had to learn the, tr- the tricks to survive at Stocksbridge Park Steels and, and Halifax and Fleetwood. And he, he, had to, he had to get through this. It was this lightning quick kid. And we know that he had a sort of troubled upbringing. He had a tag on at one point and what have you. That he had to learn to be streetwise and you know a fighter and all that stuff. So I think the fact that he then dives, fits into that kind of Jamie Vardy has guile yeah. narrative in a way that Harry Kane doesn't, because there's no perception that, although Kane had all those loans in the lower league. Yes, went, that, went through exactly the same thing. That same narrative has not stuck to Kane. Oh, obviously, he was younger when he came through and it, he didn't drop quite as far down as, as Vardy did, and he was always under Tottenham's do, win. Do you know what it is? If it's not, if it's not class, if it's not life experience, if it's none of those things, if it's not his race, if it's not his nationality, it's the fact that Harry Kane has old style hair. It could be, could be. I love this idea that class comes into football. I mean, those Eton and Harrow educated Premier League footballers get away with absolute murder, don't don't they? they? That's where the game started. Will Hughes went to Repton. Loads of loads of privately educated footballers now. Loads of them. I was just trying to have a cut. No, making a game. No dads. All, no dads. All, all Manchester City. Yeah, but there's not all of the school. whole city academies at St Bede's. Yeah, well, well, there's not many though, is there, that have had. There's more now but, but, than there used to be. It's mm. not about the difference you would between have been upper class and lower then. class, Steve. Yeah. It's to do. What do you mean then? Unique now. You <laughs> are unique now. <laughs> in a sense, You've got a Venn diagram. In all the wrong ways. All of your own. Absolutely. You do not cross with Jamie Vardy in any way, apart from your really but, angular features. Ferret, there is one of the. There's one of the really important factor, which is it's to do with the kind of the story of that player. And it's equally to do with the story of a game, whether an incident gets highlighted particularly. Now, 
there, there are games when the, the controversial penalty is the only thing you can talk about. Or it's late. Or it's late, or it's decisive, or whatever, it's important, or whatever. So the Salah one against Palace is brushed over because there were seven goals to talk about and a comeback and a flaky defence and all this stuff. So you, you're not, match of the day are not going to dedicate five minutes to talking about the penalty. The papers on the Sunday and the Monday are not going to dedicate vast spreads to, to talking about a penalty that didn't happen and didn't affect the result because Liverpool won. Whereas if you get a penalty that, and the, the Sterling one since it's the example, that was City smashing Shakhtar 5-0? 6 nil. 6-0. In a game that had basically nothing riding on it, we all knew they were going to qualify for the Champions League group stage. They were clearly better than Shakhtar. It wasn't particularly interesting. Jesus scored a hat-trick. Jesus scored a hat-trick. Nobody remembers that. You t- there's a limit, and City fans listening to this will not appreciate this, but there's a limit to how many times you can write as a journalist or talk about as a commentator, aren't City brilliant? Like, after a while, it becomes you admire yeah. it, but it's quite boring because it's just the same thing. Like City are brilliant. They are yeah. the best team probably in the world. They're fantastic. Well done. But that's not interesting to write about or to be honest if you're not a City fan to read about and I would imagine even if you're a City fan you get a bit bored of it so in an inc- in, in a game like that Shakhtar game where the Sterling penalty the stupid Sterling penalty happened that will be highlighted because it's the only interesting talking point and that's the other thing that's really important that forges these reputations is when these things happen so if you if you die for penalties that you don't get in games that your team wins anyway you'll probably get away with it a bit if that, if, was, you, if that was Tottenham and Harry Kane instead yeah. of Raheem Sterling, would it have got the same coverage? you reckon it would have done? That's a really good question. You, no, you, I, don't. You would, I don't think it would have done. You no. would I don't think it would have done. everything to be the same. Yeah. So the, the level of importance of the game, the uh, nature of what happened, mm. the significance of it, not necessarily to the result in this situation, mm. but the fact that it was significant because of everything else not being yeah. as significant. So you would need to try and recreate in yeah, the Petri dish. If you just change the player, it's the whole well, thing we're so talking so about. You change it to Harry Kane. No, if it had been De Bruyne, if De Bruyne had made that run and not Sterling De Bruyne mm. had tripped up and not Sterling True. Yeah. would it have got the same treatment I think it, to be honest I think it probably would have done can I just you've mentioned Harry Kane there's a, there's a recent incident involving Kane which the, the VAR involvement in it the, the penalty that was scored against Chelsea in the first leg of the League Cup semi-final obviously whether or not it was offside was the majority talking point but there was a heck of a lot of people that thought Harry Kane went down too easily mm. It's like 50-50 split as to people thought, it, 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 take the offside out of it, whether it was a penalty or not. He was taken out at high speed by Aretha Balaga. Mm, That's nice. about as, clear as, about as mm. clear a penalty as you will see. But there's still, because of Harry Kane having that lingering reputation mm. for being a bit of a diver, that half the people or, watching that game thought, thought that penal- wasn't a penalty. Or is it every penalty now is a bit, well, hang on a minute, yeah. was that really a penalty? Or has he, has he played be- for be- it? Be- because of the, 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 the doubt. The doubt now has swept yeah. in completely. Yeah. That I don't know what but it has to be the, to be a penalty But where's anymore. that doubt come from? Has the doubt come from the people who dive, mm-hmm. those pesky foreigners who came into the mm. game Taught in 1992 and taught everybody to do it or is it due to what we mentioned earlier on the tribalism of not ever accepting that there is a legitimate yeah. penalty given against your team both. Uh, yeah you can't I think the, the prevalence of exaggerating contacts or simulation whatever you want to call it means that fans are now entitled to doubt everything and the players to an extent have, them, have only got themselves and their predecessors yes. to yeah. blame yeah. because although Francis Lee did dive Francis Lee was known as the diver yeah, in the 1970s, that nobody else, or very few other people, did it. Franny Lee, or I mean, it might have been that he was just he was just really bad crap at, it, at yeah. it, so he got caught all the time, or it was obvious. But now there's it's such a prevalent. Thing. The other thing, mind you, I suppose the other thing we have to think about is that there wasn't much football on TV then, so 
Yes, you wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have Franny Lee raked over coals by every, by slow yeah. motion replays. Yeah. No, they so wouldn't have also. You wouldn't have also been analysing the equivalent of the Huddersfield Cardiff game no, exactly, that weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To say about it feeding down to the next generation, because Jamie Vardy is that player that I feel really typifies the way that he he moves the ball, not trying to score, moving the ball to be fouled. Yeah, and he's brilliant at it. Ollie Watkins playing for Brentford in a game against Leeds did exactly the same thing. Could have scored, but he'd rather move the ball and let the goalkeeper take him out to get a penalty. Yeah. So now it's feeding down. To the ne- this is completely accepted. The penalty was given on first viewing. It did look a penalty, but look at it again. And he's clearly not. Tra- if you're trying to score and you're fouled, that's it's one fine, thing. Yeah. But he's doing what Vardy did. He said, "Well, I can see the keeper coming. He's got that split second. I'm just going to move the ball to the side. Well, try and score and be fouled." No, yeah. his thought was to move the ball and maybe get the goalkeeper sent off. That didn't happen, but certainly get the penalty. So that's he's Ollie Watkins, 21. So you put, so the, that's you put the ball now into the an area generation. from which you will not be able to score. Yeah. So, well, that, could have actually, so, so he's choosing could have actually to scored. not score. He could have actually, yeah, choosing not to score, choosing mm. to get get the penalty and maybe get a player sent you see, off. So you that's see, happening very quickly. You but see that's that quite the next a lot, generation of players doing it. You yeah. see that quite a lot, that players yeah. seem to, I, and it frustrates me, that players would seem to seem to prefer to try and go around the goalkeeper because they know that if they... Or just if, move the ball, not even go around the goalkeeper, yeah. just move the ball and be caught. Rather than shoot. Rather that's than a, shoot and score. That's yeah. the percentages thing. Roberto Man. Mancini, when he was the City boss, used to despair of players when they were one-on-one taking a shot if they had a teammate up alongside them. Mm. He'd rather the pass and the, the tap-in the, the tap because in terms of percentages, you were more likely yeah. to score. And the same, same, you're more likely to score from the penalty spot than you are one-on-one with the keeper. But what I was trying to say, it's not something that's maybe being identified. Referees are now clamping down on. It's something that we're seeing less of in the game. If you've now got 21-year-old, not saying Ollie Watkins is the only one that does this, he isn't. But if that's the ne- if it's acceptable, as you're saying, diving has become an accepted part and they are getting penalties and referees are falling for it. That's the next generation so of players doing it. Ollie so Watkins when's he, when now, are we going to get now to a point has a reputation stuff? and well, we're no, treating no, it, it, it happened once and I've not seen him do it again. But, <laughs> but that, again, that could happen. That's he, the he did it doing it once is enough for me to say, well, actually, that's clearly in his mind to actually try and get the, 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 the penalty and be fouled. Uh, th- th- this is a long one. We've done a lot about diving um, in our conversation about um, do players get treated differently. I just want to do one final thing uh, before we move on to the soccer story, which is uh, something that was written in The Guardian this week uh, by Sachin Nakrani, who was talking about the uh, language used about black players which is something that mm. Rory you've touched on before I think it was in reference to Romelu Lukaku mm, um, possibly yeah uh, and it was quite a long time ago so that's the reason that I just wanted to touch on it briefly because it was also in the Guardian as well it relates to Paul Pogba um, who after Manchester United's uh, last win which was uh, at the weekend both um, Jamie Redknapp and Graham Sunas on the television um, referred to Paul Pogba who had um, laid on the goal for Marcus Rashford with an incredibly exquisite technical piece of genius mm. with his pass um, they still used even though that was the most significant contribution to the game by Paul Pogba they still use words like pace power strength that there is amongst the media whether it's former players Andy or amongst writers still a laziness now I'm not accusing anybody of, of stereotyping or having racial overtones to their um, to what they say but there is a laziness to not realise that they are using these words before any other words that might be more suitable to describe a black player is that, is that something that that highlights also the issue that we've been talking about about treating players differently the, the vernacular that we use yeah. around players definitely yeah without a shadow of a doubt and it and I don't think it's a racist. Th- I don't think it's a racist thing, but it probably is a racial thing. Then it's a. It's yes, a, that's a much better way than. It's a bias <laughs> than of what I was trying to say. It's, I think it's a bias. So Lukaku is quite a good example. I I have a bit of a problem with Luka, talking about Lukaku, and I'm going to try and explain it honestly, and would hope that our, our listeners would understand it. So I'm conscious that it's really easy with 
with strong black strikers to focus on their strength and their power and with Lutatu used to be their pace. He doesn't seem very quick anymore, Lutatu. I'm not quite sure why that is. But you, you focus on the physical. And the problem with, with has always been that we tend to talk about black players as physical entities and white players as technical entities. So white players are their, their technique or their skill or their vision is highlighted in a way that the bla- the, it isn't for black players, whereas black players get yeah pace, power, strength, whatever. The problem with Lutatu is that he's quite strong. So I got to a point, uh, I think the last season, when when I found it quite hard to talk about Lukaku or write about Lukaku because I'm, I know that Lukaku, when he's playing well, which he hasn't been recently, makes really good runs. His use of the ball is, is really intelligent. His first touch actually is quite good, um, which is something he doesn't always get credit for. But to be honest, the way that he was being used by Mourinho was as a strong, quick striker. That's what Mourinho was using him for. And so when you're trying to talk about him, I was really trying to say, like, I don't, I don't want to, to further this cliche or, or to, um, to allow myself to be lazy and, and well, only noticing like the things Like a referee that, refereeing J.B. Vardy, you don't want to be made a fool of by yeah. conforming to something, so, and being accused of something that you're not fully responsible for. So I think it's, ba- it's dangerous because, and this isn't the, 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 the crux of the issue, but it's something that I do, that I have thought about. It's dangerous to effectively to deprive black players of their right to be quick and strong. Now, you, t- you can make an argument that you shouldn't really use quick and strong to describe any footballer because they're all quite quick and strong, mostly. Very, name a slow, weak footballer in the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? There's not... Well... Since Chinch retired. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to get... I was just... Oh, please don't mention me. But please there's not... There's we're going to push him to the point where he doesn't want to be involved anymore. I know. Oh, no, that'll never the, happen. The problem is that it becomes a default. And so with Pogba, whose pace and power are not two defining qualities of Paul Pogba's game to be honest he is quite a quick runner and he is quite strong because he's a professional footballer but they're not the two things that he bring that's not why he's in the team so he's wh- quick why, and strong. why do we why do we see that when we're describing him well partly I think it's lazy analysis generally I think people that's that's the point that I, gen- I wanted to make generally are lazy yeah, but you've got to be careful if he is if he does something that's pacey and powerful you, can you can't it. say well I can't say that yeah. well, he's but, just done that and any this, player if he does that you've got to mo- say that this moment, don't just say that we don't want to say that it's just Jamie Redknapp and Graham Sunas but it's just the, 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 the highlighted um, comments in the article by Sachin Nakrani and he also says that these are no, by no means the only things that, no. that Jamie Redknapp and Graham Sunas said about uh, Paul Pogba but they were the initial conclusions about Paul Pogba's performance and there there is an element to it where it is, and it's not just the people saying these things, but there are, there is a laziness of analysis that infects everything that they say, mm. and mm. it just happens to be that when they talk about black players, no, not that it just happens to be, but when they talk about black players, that's how they, it manifests. Yeah. That is their laziness of analysis. But the, you, you, again, you have they to even go, know they're doing it though. Well, that, possibly not, and I would, I'd be, I'd, I'd be sad if Jamie Redknapp or Graham Sinister is a racist bone in their bodies, as, as the cliche goes. But I think the, <laughs> the, the issue is that when pe- when people see Pogba, when people see Lukaku, when pe- people see black players, they tend to look out initially for the athleticism, and that is that is a that's not something that we can blame those people for particularly. That is a cultural thing that has been bred into them over years that we we should we all have to make an effort to break free from so i think there is definitely the, the word beast is the other one that you get black players are continually described as beasts in the way that and that's not by journalists that's by fans mm. in a way that white players aren't and the way we think of we we tend to associate black footballers with physicality and white footballers with other other kind of uh, what's the word traits or characteristics and that is a 
I guess, and again, I'm conscious that we are four white middle-class men talking about racism. Um, I guess that is. That's to why do I wanted to make it about the media's comments yeah, upon I, that, rather than again, we are not, we we do not have any experience to bring to bear in in I, any way apart again, from to suggest that we are perhaps have been responsible for it, or how are we yeah, going I, to try and do it differently? I've probably done it, but then I I don't think I've ever falsely accused, accused a black player of being quick, and so I don't think I've ever found a really slow black player and been like, well, he's, he's dead quick just because he's black. But I think that overall, we we tend to focus in on physical traits for black players and technical traits for white players because that is how we're taught to think about them. And the other, but the other thing I would say is that, that that whole kind of pace, power, Hansen motif, pundits say that about a lot of players because it's an easy way of saying they played well without actually ident- identifying why, white or black. Yes. Pace and power and tends it to be... And it's and it's easy. It's just, th- th- but that's lazy analysis. They'll again, say it about example. Hazard. Be like, look, you know, he's got pace, power keeps the ball close. You know, that's kind of what... There's no actual analysis there. Chinch wouldn't do it, but th- that is kind of the... Th- you know, you, you're in the studio after a, day, after a game, you're thrown a question, you go, I don't know, pace and power? Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's inherently because they're black. The problem is that we very rarely hear conversations about black players that are about how, how much they control the game or well, how technically yes, good they are. don't or, involve yeah, those monitors. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps the thing, the first stage in working towards that or to address it is not so much to suddenly overlook mm. the obvious aspects of a player's game whatever their race whatever their color might be but is to to also make sure you give them credit for other facets of their game yeah. so just because you're saying that you know Paul Pogba's got pace and power is giving Manchester United some pace and power that they were lacking in midfield you also need to make sure that you also reflect upon the intelligence mm. and the craft and the guile and his ability to yeah. make the, the correct decision at the right time well, and pick out a team. To just order them in a different so, order. So yeah. just to make sure that, you know, that there, there are going to be certain characteristics of players which are almost impossible to ignore, mm. but you should also make sure you're giving them the credit for the, the less obvious things that you might more easily label with, you know, a young white English player. But it, it, it happens with nationality as well, I think, that, that certain nations are associated with, with certain traits and we therefore... You see those traits. That it's, it's. I think it's probably the, what proper people would call the availability heuristic. So, you you associate. You find someone who f- you find the uh, the things that you can remember most clearly about people of that about that about that player or about people of that nationality or people who look like that player who play like that player, and assume they must. That's what they must do. Fernandinho is Brazilian and a lot of people assumed he was a skillful Brazilian for about four years it took it, it took until about this year for us to notice that oh actually he's a really dirty holding midfielder oh yeah sorry and it's yeah. the same with you, you'll get kind of you'll get midfielders who are actually there to pass who we assume because they're Serbian or whatever are Matic to an extent we'll assume that Nemanja Matic thunderous in the tackle he's not Nemanja Matic sort of wanders about nicking the ball away we used to don't anymore the, you know, and then, then he's got a lovely range of passing but you never hear it about Nemanja Matic in his lovely range of passing because he's a defensive hard man well, so if he said to a fan you gave them a player and said give me three traits of that player they would fall into the categories that you talked about yeah. they would Paul Pogba pace they would they'd just fall into that and you say well actually think about that and think about what when you've watched him play is that are they the first things that come to mind? And it probably wouldn't be, but it is. It's lazy. You just fall fall into that and, trap. And if this podcast is here to do anything, it is to try and stop 
lazy stereotyping. And entertain. And to try and entertain. Yeah. So it was a nice way to finish that uh, conversation. Uh, with that in mind, um, here is the former broken left back who took corners and did absolutely nothing else. It's Andy Hinchcliffe with Nevermind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story. This is when Andy tells the tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel where the details are moved. That's two of my traits, is it? Broken was the first thing you... You thought of when I, you think of me. That's terrible. Well, I, I described you as broken earlier and I oh. just haven't got the ability and uh, the uh, lexicon mm. to be able to think of anything else when I okay. needed it. Forget that. that. Soccer story. <laughs> um, I came across a lot of footballing greatness in my time. Played against some great players. Was a great player myself. Um, but I came across musical greatness as well. And I was, I was I reminded of this story when I was listening to a, a Radio 4 Extra program called Swan Song. Just to confirm the middle-class nature of this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> and it's about famous last albums. And it was about the Manic Street Preachers. And the Holy Bible was their famous last album before they famously lost one of their founding members who wandered off and has never been seen. Richie the guitarist? He was, yes. And uh, Richie Edwards, I think his name Richie was. Edwards. Yes, and he was, he's never been seen. They didn't know what happened to him. Um, and it was about the Manic Street. And I thought, wait a minute, man, I met the Manic Street Preachers. <gasps> Yes, and they met me. Anyway, Barry Horn, who is a famously fo- a footballer and a Welshman. <laughs> what and a combination. I don't know whether you know the Manic Street Preachers are from Wales. They are indeed. So he had a lot of um, contacts in the music industry. So he used to come over to Manchester. We used to go to the academy and watch bands play. And we went to the, I think it was the MEN, as it was called then, to see the Manic Street Preachers. And then Barry, after the gig, because that's what the kids call them these days, he said, we're going to go back to the Midland Hotel because the Manic Street Preachers are having a bit of a, a post-gig party. And I said, and this is my ex-wife, ex-Mrs. H was there as well, and, and she is the, the nub of the story. Um, <laughs> we, we're going to go to the Midland to, to meet the Manic Street. And so Barry H- he said, oh, I know them. I've been to Welsh and all this type of stuff, and they're big fans of me, and I love them. Okay. So we go to the Midland Hotel. So we're, we're having drinks in the bar. I, I don't drink anymore, but clearly I was drinking quite heavily that night. And um, James Dean Bradfield, lead singer, said Manic Street Preachers. Nicky Wire, lead guitarist of... Manic Street Preachers. Come over, Barry Horn's there. They greet each other like old friends, which they probably are. So we get introduced to them. And it's really weird when you meet... Really, cause they, so they, they, to me, were really famous. I probably was very famous to them. They yes. probably would have known all about my They're telling and, this story from the other point of view. Um, and my throw-ins. <laughs> and so I'm chatting away to them. And Mrs. H, the ex-Mrs. H, isn't there at that moment. So we're chatting. You're trying to look like you're comfortable. You know, it's like when you meet famous people, Steve. When you first met me, you were a little bit uncomfortable. You're not sure how it's going to go down. So I'm trying yeah, to... Yeah, you know, so It was a little bit... Yeah, like, like that. Too, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So I you, thought you were Steve Redman for the first time. Anyway, <laughs> all that. So you're in the presence of musical greatness. So you're trying to look hip and cool and trying to remember songs they might have done or albums to try and... Like, like you know what you're talking about so we, we're kind of doing okay and then Mrs H who God bless her a little bit worse for wear which tended to be the way comes barging into this this little grouping points at James Dean Bradfield and says you're a bit small aren't you for a pop star <laughs> now granted he is about five foot but you don't mention that to a famous pop star do you and from that point Everything just fell apart, and they very oh. quickly made their excuses and went off and spoke to. And I never was able to speak to them again. So she ruined what could have been a really great occasion for both the Mannix and myself <laughs> by just that sizest. Poor J- has he ever recovered? From, I don't think they made a decent song from that point onwards. 
They've not written a decent song, I'm telling you. And it was all because Mrs. H steamed in, didn't say, I love your music, isn't Wales great? Just said... <laughs> Talking points with the Manic Street <laughs> Preachers. <laughs> You're a bit small to be a pop star, aren't you? What's he going to say to that? So that ended that story. We're it's back to sad. stereotyping. Yes, lazy stereotyping. Not me, though. Lazy Not me. stereotyping. I, all, all lead singers have to be, what, 6'2", at least? Absolutely. They've got to be Morrissey-esque, if haven't they? If you're not Jarvis Cocker minus a couple of inches, then you're not interesting. But, again, it just... Oh, I, was trying to, I know they could have been come fret. They could have been part of this podcast, couldn't they? Because you would have struck up because a relationship str- that would have lasted until this day. For all the right reasons, mm-hmm. I'd have struck up a mm-hmm. lasting friendship with them. I could have gone on tour with them. I could have maybe played the triangle I could have done a lot of stuff <laughs> and maybe influenced popular music but Mrs H ruined it that's why we got divorced good job he never took her to see Prince he was small as well she'd have said to him he wouldn't have had a chance would he the poor man look at his silly shoes look, what, what's <laughs> he, he wearing platforms, platforms on you're only four foot tall what's this obsession with purple uh, strong work Andrew <laughs> uh, thank you very much indeed uh, we leave with a reminder of how to get in touch uh, at setpiece menu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com head to facebook.com forward slash menu as well uh, please subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule uh, thank you to you all for sticking with us this is I think by far our longest uh, podcast Evs, number 113. Mm. We've been very disciplined up until this point. Uh, thank you to Steve, Rory, and to Andy, and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece, many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Podcast 113, it's taken me to this point to, to remember, remember that, that story, I met wow, the Manic Street. Street. Pre- you, that probably would have been in the, probably the top 20, wouldn't it? Most famous person outside of football that you ever met? Most pe- that's a good question. Let me, let me think on that one. You, you don't count. Because you are outside football. I've seen you play. <laughs> We're not talking about future fame. They had to have been famous Already at that famous. point. Um, did I meet Nelson Mandela? I mean, whilst he's thinking about it, obviously, in terms of top <laughs> soccer stories, the Manic Street Preachers do not get close to Kevin Radcliffe throwing a tray of lobsters into the Everton bar. <laughs> and, and he was actually, both yeah. Welsh. Yes, yeah, yeah. In That's your best Welsh soccer story. If I could have had the Manic Street distance. Preachers in the bath, yeah, yeah. that would have made it a well, perfect a story. Show. We'd have hoped you might have remembered that a bit sooner. But now I'm going to have to think about whether I did meet any other famous people as well. I must have done. I must have met someone Who handed famous. the FA Cup to you? What? Was that the Queen? She didn't hand it to me. No, but like you got medals as you went queen? down the line. Was it the Queen? I can't no, remember. No, the, the, the last time the... Uh, good question. It was like the 1970s was the last time the Queen handed out the FA Cup final. It would have been the Queen. It would have been a driver or someone, wouldn't it?